Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. Now we'll be in Matthew chapter 8, continuing our series through the book of Matthew, Matthew 8, starting in verse 1. And the title is Jesus, the Doctor with Authority. Now Jesus is not like any other doctor that has ever lived. For Jesus can heal any disease, he can heal any sickness with just a word. And Jesus can do this, he can heal with just a word because he has the authority, he has the power to do so. So in Matthew chapter 8, we, Jesus, we see Jesus' power in action. And Jesus had authority and power then. He still has authority and power now to heal people. But the main point of these healings that we see in Matthew 8 points to something greater. As great as physical healings are, and we will see how miraculous these things are and how it points to Jesus being the Messiah and how it points to Him being God Himself, He can do something far greater. He can heal people from their sins. And at the end, we will also look forward to the day when all sickness, all physical disease, all death will be no more. Sin will be no more when Jesus comes back. And God creates a new heavens and new earth. That's what we are looking forward to. So Matthew chapter 8, that's just the beginning. This is just the beginning, just the start of God's kingdom on earth. In which Jesus will cleanse a man with leprosy. He will heal a Roman soldier's servant. And he will heal heal Peter's mother-in-law as well as drive out demons and many other people that aren't even mentioned. They're just, he just gives a summary at the end that Jesus heals many, many more people. And Matthew gives us the reason. What's the point? What's the main thing that we're supposed to take away from these things? Why is it important? Why does Matthew include these stories here? Well, he tells us, verse 17, at the end of our passage, all these things... Happened so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. It was to fulfill this passage in Isaiah that points forward to the Messiah, to show that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah, which also points to him taking away our sins on the cross. For Jesus is the doctor with authority, not just a physical disease. But he is the doctor with authority over the more deadly disease of sin. So if you're taking notes and you want to look at key words today, and you want to track those, you all had fun last week tracking the key word. So this, key, this week will be healing. Healing. And we'll start with Jesus' healing of the leper. Starting in verse 1. It says, When he came down from the mountain... That is, Jesus just got finished teaching the sermon, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He came down from the mountain, and large crowds followed him. Verse 2, Right away a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, leprosy in the Bible can refer to a variety of skin problems, skin diseases. They can range from very bad or uh, just manageable but anyone with leprosy, as told about in Leviticus 13, 45, and 46, 
people with leprosy had to live in quarantine away from people. And this, this story really hits home for us today. We, we can relate to this more than ever, perhaps. So this man with leprosy had to live in quarantine away from people. And that also means that they, someone with leprosy was not allowed to worship God in the temple. If they were to walk around people, if they happened to walk around them, they were to let them know that they had leprosy by shouting, unclean, unclean. No other disease in the Old Testament had as severe quarantine or isolation as leprosy. And so when uh, leprosy was cured in the Old Testament, it was by a miracle. This is not some simple disease that can just be done away with. Healing of leprosy was thought of like raising the dead. Something only God can do. For example, we see the king of Israel is told to cure a man from leprosy. And in 2 Kings 5-7, the king responds, Am I God? Killing and giving life? That this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? He's like, I'm not God. Why are you asking me to do this? I can't do it. So when Jesus heals this man of leprosy, he's showing the power of God. He's showing that he is God himself. So back in Matthew verse 2, we see how the man approached Jesus. Notice what he does. Well, first of all, notice that he approaches him at all. Because remember, the man with leprosy is not supposed to be around anyone. He's supposed to isolate himself. He doesn't announce himself as unclean, but he goes before Jesus in worship. He bows before him just as the Magi bowed before Jesus in worship in Matthew 2, 2. And he calls Jesus Lord. Recognizing that he is the Lord of all. That he bows down in worship before Jesus. Even before he heals him. This is something we should learn from this man. For we should worship Jesus for who he is. Instead of worshiping only after he does what we want him to do. Our worship of Jesus should not be dependent on when or how he answers our prayers. And notice as well that the man with leprosy, he doesn't say, can you heal me? He's not questioning whether Jesus has the ability or the power to, but he states that if you are willing, if you are willing to do this, he knows that Jesus has the power, he knows that he has the authority, but he also is humble. He respects Jesus as Lord. And so he does not command Jesus to cleanse, but he submits himself to Jesus' will. As one commentator writes, true faith does not demand that Jesus fulfill the request, but rather surrenders to the knowledge that Jesus can do so if he wishes. So let us learn to pray like this. Not my will, but your will be done, O oh God. And one last thing we could notice from this man is that he doesn't ask Jesus to heal him or to cure him, but to cleanse him. Thus he's emphasizing the spiritual ramifications of his disease. More than the physical pain of the disease, the man suffered more from a spiritual pain of being separated from God's people and separated from God's temple. He wants to be cleansed more than he wants to be cured. 
Let us also follow this man's example and come to Jesus not only for physical healing, but for spiritual cleansing. 1 John 1.7 The blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. In verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the power of God. That is the power that Jesus has in His blood. And just like Jesus is willing and He is able to cleanse us from our sins, Jesus was willing and able to cleanse the man of His leprosy. Verse 3, Reaching out His hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately His leprosy was cleansed. Now Jesus could have just spoken a word. He could have just said it be done and it be done. We'll see that in the next story. But here Jesus chooses to reach out and touch the untouchable. For with anyone else, they would have avoided this man at all costs. Anyone who touches someone with leprosy also becomes unclean. But Jesus is different. Jesus is like no other doctor This doesn't happen with Jesus. He doesn't touch him and become unclean. Instead, when he touches, the disease is eradicated by his touch. When we come to Jesus with our sins, when we come to Jesus with our failures and disobedience, he reaches out his hand, and the one who is perfectly sinless, he is able and he is willing to take all our sin upon himself. Thus, taking all of our sin, we are made clean. We are given a new heart, a heart that desires and is empowered by the indwelling of the Spirit to live a life obedient to God. So when Jesus cleanses you, it is like cleansing of this leprosy. It is immediate. It's a once and for all cleansing. For if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Yes, we still sin As Christians, we still fall short. But when we repent, God is faithful to forgive us. Jesus' blood takes care of all our sin, past, present, and future. And after Jesus cleanses this man, we see in verse 4, Jesus tells him, See that you don't tell anyone. That's odd, right? Well, he, he, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, don't tell anyone. He, he wants him to do something. He says, go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So, what's going on? Why does he tell them? Why does he tell him this? Well, Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the King and Savior that has come to save His people from their sins, and His fame would spread across the land. We'll see that in, this very sto- in these very stories here. But Jesus was not a showman. He was not an entertainer. He did not seek to wow the crowds. But He is the meek and mild servant. As we'll look at um, in a few months, Matthew 12, 16-20. We'll see how Jesus is that meek and mild servant. So He's not seeking to entertain. He's, he's showing that He is the Messiah. The Messiah is supposed to be meek and mild. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he might have wanted to keep a lower profile, perhaps not to cause a riot among the people, not to stir up more trouble than necessary with the religious leaders, or maybe just perhaps so that this man can focus on his task 
of going to the temple and going to the priest. Not going around and telling everyone just yet, but going to the temple. Jesus sees this as important. This is important because Jesus has not abolished the Old Testament law. And that through these actions, Jesus is focusing something on the spiritual aspect of his healing. Because now the man is formally allowed back into the temple. And he is allowed to be a part and live among God's people again. And that is what Jesus wants to turn his attention to. He uses this healing as a lesson to teach him something about the spiritual. And the same is for us. When God cleanses you from your sin, he also gives you the commands to follow. We saw Jesus' commands in the Sermon on the Mount over the past few weeks. And not only that, when you're cleansed, when Jesus cleanses you, he places you in the family of God. So you are to be a part and live among God's people, the church. Because following Jesus is not a solo religion. But we are a part of a family, a community. We are one body, helping each other and praising God together. Next, we move into verse 5. We see another story of a healing, the healing of the centurion's servant. Verse 5, he says, When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. Now, a centurion is a Roman soldier in charge of about 80 other soldiers. Now, some commentaries will say 100. We can debate that. It's not, he's over a lot of people. You get, you get the point. He's over 80 or 100 soldiers. And during Jesus' time, there was some bad feelings towards the Romans from the Jewish people. And that would be an understatement for some people. But there is a special temptation to hate Roman soldiers. When Jesus commanded his people to love their enemies, I'm, I'm pretty sure some of them thought someone like this Roman soldier was their enemy. And despite all of this background, the fact that the Roman soldier, that many Roman soldiers worshipped other gods, they even some worshipped the emperor, So this is astounding that a Roman soldier comes to Jesus, a Jew, and he comes to him in humble submission, pleading with him. And this is what he says in verse 6. He says, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. And Jesus said to him, am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. So like the man with leprosy, the centurion recognizes Jesus' authority and power to heal. And even though the centurion would have been over authority, he would have been in uh, over authority over Jesus from an earthly perspective. But he recognizes that Jesus is the one who has the real authority. So we can't be tempted because of your job or because of your wealth or your status. We can't be tempted that because of all these things that we don't need God. We can't be tempted to think that we are above God's authority. Now you may be able to control a lot of things in your life, but you don't have control over everything. You don't have the authority of God. And the first step to coming before God is to recognize your humbleness before Him. 
that you are not God yourself. You do not have the ability to say with a word, be healed. And as the centurion explains how he understands that Jesus has authority, he uses a, an analogy. By his, he recognizes his own limited authority. Verse 9, the centurion says, For I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So in other words, the centurion knows how authority works. He lives it day to day. He has authority over his soldiers, and they obey his commands. But this centurion also recognizes that his authority is limited. For he has no authority over sickness and disease. He cannot say to his servant's illness, be gone. It doesn't go away. So he comes to the one with authority over sickness and disease, the one who can say to the paralysis, be gone, and the paralysis, leave. The centurion gets it, he, and he responds to Jesus in faith. And this is how Jesus responds in verse 10. After hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. So this is the picture we see here. Jesus, after hearing this man's faith and how he knows that Jesus has authority to heal with just a word, he turns to his disciples and he's like, this is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of faith that I've been teaching. This is what I'm looking for. And it comes from this Roman soldier. It doesn't come from someone in Israel. That's a harsh claim. Like that's, that would hit, if you were a disciple, that would hit you in the face like, man, what are, what's going on? Because the people of Israel, they had, they had it. They had the Old Testament. They had the temple. They had the priests. But they didn't get it. They didn't get it like this Roman soldier did. Because Jesus is not looking for external rituals, but he's looking for internal, real, authentic, totally submitted, humble faith. Recognizing and trusting that Jesus has all authority and power, and nothing is impossible for him. That is how our faith should be. It is not built on anything else. It is not built on who our families are, how much wealth we have. It is not built on um, if we come to church every Sunday. It is not external rituals. It is internal, real, authentic faith. Jesus goes on to explain this point and use this healing as a, as a teaching moment of faith and connects it to the spiritual yet again. Verse 11, he says, I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, Jesus is saying salvation, eternal life is available to all people from east and from west, anywhere. And true faith is the requirement to have a seat at the table. At the table of salvation, it is not just for certain people, it's not just for the Israelites, it's not just for the sons of Abraham, the sons of Isaac and Jacob, but the banquet table is for anyone in Christ. With this comes a warning. Verse 12, Jesus says, But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So even though the banquet table is open 
to everyone, they must respond in faith. And here Jesus is warning the sons of the kingdom, that is, Jesus warning the Israelites, the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that if you lack faith, you won't have a seat at the table. Just because you're an Israelite, that doesn't mean that you're going to be at the banquet table in eternity. Just because they were born into a certain family doesn't mean you'll be at, in eternity with God. What he's saying is if you reject the king, don't expect to be able to sit at the table in his beautifully lit banquet hall. Instead, those who don't trust in Jesus as their God, as their Savior, as their King, he says, will be thrown into the eternal darkness. Well, there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. It is eternal punishment for rejection of an eternal God. Thus, Jesus uses this opportunity of healing to teach about eternal healing and the effects of faith for eternal life or the lack of faith that leads to eternal death. And then Jesus turns away from his disciples and turns back to the centurion, verse 13. He says, Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. So with a word, his servant was healed that very moment. And here we see again that Jesus' healing is immediate. And it is by his very words. Jesus again shows that he has all authority, has all power. There is no need uh, to go to the man or to his servant. There is not even the need to be in the same place. Just as Jesus has authority to heal physical diseases, he also has authority to heal the spiritual disease of sin for those who believe. And then we turn to the last individual healing in verse 14. We see that Jesus went into Peter's house and he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. So we saw Jesus heal a man with leprosy. He saw heal, healing someone with paralysis. Now these are very two serious diseases. And while a fever may be a lesser illness, a fever in those days was not easily taken care of, as it can be sometimes today. And it must have been a very serious fever for her to be lying in bed. Nevertheless, this story emphasizes something about Jesus. It emphasizes that he's taking the initiative in healing. She's merely lying there in bed sick, and he goes to her with his grace and power of healing and heals her. We also see the proper response of serving God. She, as soon as she's healed, she gets up and begins to serve him. If God has saved you, if he's cleansed you from your sin, we should also respond with service to him. This is not service that is drudgery. This is not service that tries to earn salvation, but it is the grateful response. And it is rightfully understanding that Jesus is the king, that he saved you, that he is the king. It's only natural to serve him. Because you can't believe in Jesus as your savior and not as king. Because if you just think him as your savior and not as your king, then he's not really your savior either. He is both God 
Savior, and King. Thus, Jesus heals all kinds of people. He heals all kinds of diseases. And He uses these teachable mo- as teachable moments. And after, give, he, after Matthew gives these three individual stories, He gives us a summary of Jesus' other, he, other healings at Peter's house. Because apparently, as He told people not to tell people, the Word got out. He became, you know, people knew that He was healing people. Verse 16 it says, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. So we, here we see another connection between the spiritual and the physical. For he was healing people of their spiritual afflictions, being demon-possessed. Showing that Jesus has the authority not only over the physical infirmities, but also over the spiritual He has all authority over the demons. He doesn't need to use magical incantations or elaborate rituals. He drives these evil spirits out with just a word. And this connection between the physical and the spiritual that Jesus has been making all along points to His ultimate act of healing, the healing of sin and the healing that will save us from eternal death. And he makes this connection again in verse 17. All, this thing, all these things were happening, verse 17, so that what was spoken to the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. So at the end of the day, Jesus again wants us to lift our eyes heavenward. Yes, Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. He, yes, He takes away weakness. Yes, He can carry away disease. Yes, He is healed in the past. He heals in the present. And He will heal in the future. But these physical healings are connected to Him being the Messiah. The one promised to come in the Old Testament. The one who has come to save His people from their sins. That is what is ultimately going on. Because these healings were meant to be a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 4 to show and convince us that Jesus is the King. He is the Savior. And so how how is the physical and the spiritual healings connected? One commentator explains it very well. He says, pain, illness, and death were originally rooted in sin. Genesis 3. When sin came into the world, so did sickness, illness, and death. Before sin entered, life was perfect. There was no pain, illness, or death. But we also, he goes on, he says, Redemption from sin will ultimately result in the redemption of the body, Romans 8.23, and the end of pain, Revelation 21.4. So while the spiritual and the physical are connected in this sense, We must not overlap the two categories totally. For while sickness and disease are ultimately a result from sin in general, it need not be a result from individual sin or lack of faith. For example, let me explain. If someone is sick, it does not mean that God is punishing them for their sins. It does not have to mean that. If someone is sick, it does not mean necessarily that they have a lack of faith. Because I know this to be true. If you are in Jesus, He took all the punishment for your sins. 
right? He, all, the blood covers you totally once and for, for all. So anything that happens in your life in Christ is not a punishment for your sins. It may be a, a consequence or a, a, a thing to open up your eyes to see what's going on, but it ne- does not necessarily mean that it's because you are sick or because someone else is sick that you have sinned or have a lack of faith. For example, it, it, another example is that unanswered prayers. So if you pray and it doesn't happen, that doesn't, mean that, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a lack of faith on your part. For example, we just saw how Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. She didn't ask. She didn't pray. We don't, have, we don't give any account of anybody praying for her. He does it. Jesus is gracious and He can heal without, without anyone asking. He is, God is gracious and powerful. And it is ultimately in His timing and in His choice and His will, not ours. So for while we pray and ask God for spiritual healings, for, phys- for physical healings, we have seen God answer those prayers. We have come together on Wednesday nights, praying for one another, coming to God together with our prayers, asking for God to heal. And we've seen people come out of devastating illnesses. And it's, it, we praise God for those things. But we also have to remember that all these, these physical healings, they're temporary. Because we all are going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before, we're all awaiting those new bodies. We're all awaiting to live on the new heavens and new earth. Where there will be no sin, there will be no death. It is in God's timing when He will heal those who believe. It may be in this life or maybe in the life to come. So if you are sick, or you know someone who is sick, pray for them. Praise God if He heals them now, and praise God if He doesn't heal them now. And God can use pain. God can use the suffering of an illness. He can use a disease to draw us closer to Him. He can put something in our lives where we recognize that we have limited authority. We have limited power. He can put something in our lives where we are forced to depend on Him. And sometimes things happen to change our perspective. Maybe a wake-up call. So don't waste the opportunity. Don't curse God in the midst of a trial but turn to God in praise and dependence in your trials. Trust that God is good and trust in His promise of Romans 8.28. It says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, this doesn't mean tomorrow is going to be any better than than today. That's not what good means. It doesn't mean that the pain will go away. It doesn't mean that God will take away the sickness and disease today. What it does mean is that God is using that circumstance for your spiritual good. For those who love God. If God is your Savior, if Jesus is your King, your God, and your Savior, everything that happens to you is for your good. 
And you know what? I can say one day the pain will go away. One day it will be better. But again, I'm not saying this week or this year or even in 50 years, but it will be better in the new heavens and the new earth where everything will be made right. And it is vital. It is so important that we maintain this heavenly perspective. It is so easy for us to just see the here and now and get lost in the physical pain and and disease now. But we must keep this heavenly perspective for us to live with God, to live with Him in a place with no sin and no, no death. This is available to all who believe. Those who submit in humble worship, bowing to the knee to Jesus as God, Savior, and King. For Jesus, the one who fulfills Isaiah 53, 4, says, Yet he, he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. He's the same one who fulfills Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. He, that's, that's, he was crushed because of our sins. Punishment for our peace was on Him, and we are healed by His wounds. And I'll close with this, with this quote from Donald Hagner. He says, Disease is not the true enemy that must be overcome. That enemy is sin. For the fallen world produced by sin lies ultimately behind the suffering and sickness of this age. This is the enemy to be conquered by the end of the story. Properly perceived, these healings are most important as symbols of the much greater healing that is at the heart of the gospel, the healing of the cross. At the same time, they foreshadow the fulfillment of the age to come when all suffering and all sickness are finally removed. Will you pray with me? Lord, we we come to you recognizing our limited authority. We do not have the ability to say, be gone and the sickness leave. We are not you. We come before you now with heavy hearts, for we have loved ones that are suffering in pain and sickness. We ask that you heal them. We know that you have the power and we know that you are able but we want to pray your will be done. We don't want to pray for a sickness to go away just for comfort. We want the sickness to go away for your glory. And if you are using the sickness or disease to wake somebody up, to change their perspective, we ask and pray for them that they would not waste this opportunity, but they would see you in the midst of their problem. God, you are so gracious. You you have been so gracious to us. We thank you, Lord, for sending your Son to die on the cross to heal us from our sins. May we trust in you. May we keep this perspective all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.